Whenever you're ready, Mr. Vice Chair. Good afternoon. It is now 1.06 p.m. My name is Alex Ludlam, and this is a regular meeting of the Commission on Community Investment and Infrastructure for Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. I'd like to welcome everyone joining us. Today's meeting is being held in hybrid format. Members of the public can participate and provide comments both in person at City Hall and remotely through WebEx. Thank you to the staff and guests who will also be participating in today's meeting. Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Thank you, Mr. Vice Chair. The first order of business is item one roll call. Commission members, please respond when I call your name. Commissioner Drew. Present. Commissioner Scott. Present. And Vice Chair Ludlam. Present. Chair Brackett is running late. All other members of the commission are present. Please note that the commission has one vacant seat. Mr. Vice Chair, we do have a quorum. The next order of business is item two announcements. A, the next regular meeting is scheduled on Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023 at 1 p.m. B, announcement of prohibition of sound producing electronic devices during the meeting. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any persons responsible for the ringing of or use of a cell phone, pager, or other similar sound-producing electronic device. C, announcement of public comment procedures. Please be advised a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item unless the commission adopts a shorter period on any item. During each public comment period, members of the public attending the meeting in person will have an opportunity to provide their, their comments. It is strongly recommended that members of the public who wish to address the commission fill out a speaker card and submit the completed card to the commission secretary. Members of the public who are joining remotely will be instructed to follow the, up to, uh, the following instructions. Please dial 415-655-0001. When prompted, Enter the access code, which is 2598-367-0207. Press the pound key and then the pound key again to enter the call. When prompted, press star 3 to submit your request to speak. When you dial star 3, you will hear the following message. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear your line has been unmuted, this is your opportunity to provide your public comment, and you will have three minutes. Please speak clearly and slowly, and you will be placed back on mute once you're done speaking. You can stay on the line and continue to listen to the meeting, but you can also choose to hang up. If you're planning to provide a public comment on any items on today's agenda, it is recommended that you call the public comment line ahead of time to allow you to the, listen to the meeting live and to prevent you from, from experiencing delays. Today's meeting materials are available on our website at sfocii.org under Commission, then the Public Meetings tab. The next order of business is item three, report on actions taken at a previous closed session meeting, if any. There are no reportable actions. The next order of business is item four, matters of unfinished business. There are no matters of unfinished business. The next order of business is item five, matters of new business consisting of consent and regular agenda. First is the consent agenda. 5A is approval of minutes, regular meeting of April 4, 2023, and I'd like to acknowledge that Madam Chair is now present. Thank you, um, Secretary. Um, 
Um, do we have anyone from public who would like to provide any comment on our meetings minutes from last meeting? At this time, if there are many, any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598-367-0207, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Press star 3 to be placed in the queue. If you are, or if you are here in person and would like to provide public comment, would like to invite you to come up to the podium. To those listening by phone, if you would like to provide a comment, please press star three. Madam Chair, at this time, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. I'm hearing no further questions on the matter from the public. Um, do we have any concerns or questions from the commissioners? Seeing none, um, do we have a motion to approve the minutes? Yes, Madam Chair. I move that we approve of the minutes. All second. Commission members, please announce your vote when I call your name. Commissioner Drew. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes. Thank you. Can we move on to the next item on the calendar? Next is the regular agenda. Item number 5B is workshop on annual housing production report, fiscal year 2021 to 2022. Discussion, Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, greetings, commissioners, members of the public. Um, this item will be presented by Elizabeth Colomello, the housing program uh, manager. This is a report on our annual housing uh, activities. It's retrospective, so it is looking back approximately a year and a half in time. And um, with that opening, Elizabeth. Thank you, Thor. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Ludlam, Commissioner Scott and Drew. As Thor said, my name is Elizabeth Colomello, Housing Program Manager, and today I'm here to present on our annual housing production report. This report covers fiscal year 21-22, so keep in mind the results you're seeing are for the period beginning July 1st, 2021, ending June 30, 2022. The report is in draft form, and we'd like any suggestions or input that you have. After incorporating any revisions, we'll distribute the report to interested parties and post it on our website as we have in years past. As we go through the presentation, I'll touch on the major highlights of the report an overview of our housing program and the project areas that we work in, fiscal year 21-22 activity, including marketing outcomes, COP highlights, but you'll be hearing much more on that in Pam's presentation that's coming up after mine, and SBE and workforce highlights. I'll also provide a sneak peek of some work that we've been working on this year and you'll be hearing more about in the coming year. Here's a map to remind you of OCII's major development project areas. Starting in the north is the Trans Bay in pink there, and then there's Mission Bay North and South um, in purple, and finally the Hunters Point Shipyard Phases 1 and 2 and Candlestick Point in green and blue down at the bottom. This chart reflects OCII's obligations for each project area. It includes the status of housing production, the percent complete. It includes both market rate and affordable under OCI's purview. 
Overall, there will be 21,914 housing units, of which 32% will be affordable. Nearly 40% of the total units will be in the shipyard phase two in Candlestick Point. This is a little summary of who is served in our affordable housing. We serve households with very low to moderate incomes that would otherwise struggle to find housing, affordable housing in San Francisco. The median incomes or AMIs we use are based on data from HUD and are calculated by the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development or MOCD. The current AMIs for a four-person household range from $69,300 for a family of four per year at 50% AMI to $138,550 for a family of four at 100% AMI. Rents for a two-bedroom unit range from uh, $1,559 per month at 50% AMI to $31,018 per month at 100% AMI for that same two-bedroom. While 15% AMI is considered very low income, we do strive to serve AMIs even lower than that in most of our housing and typically set aside some units between 30% and 50% of AMI. In some cases, such as permanent supportive housing and often senior housing, we seek local and or federal operating subsidies that further lower the rents and ensure people with the very lowest incomes can be housed. This is the case with Mission Bay South Block 9, which you'll hear a bit more about in this presentation. As a reminder, back in January 2020, oh, sorry, since 2020, we have highlighted, um, sorry about that. <laughs> Before I go into our 21-22 data, I want to provide a brief summary of how we fund our affordable housing in the current funding environment. Most of our projects are funded by tax-exempt bonds allocated by the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, or SIDLAC, and low-income housing tax credits allocated by the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC. We also tap into other state sources when possible, some of which are outlined on this slide. And typically those sources cover up to 60% of our project costs. OCI then funds the remaining gap that's necessary to get the project built. Since 2020, we have highlighted in our housing presentations that the funding environment has significantly changed with the added uncertainty impacting both OCII and MOCD affordable housing. While this is still true, the good news is that we have made some progress this year. As a reminder, back in January 2020, tax-exempt bonds became competitive. The 4% low-income housing tax credits that we typically use in our project are allocated along with these bonds. When my predecessor, Jeff White, was presenting the last annual housing report, we were in the middle of a year where San Francisco projects were entirely shut out of receiving bond and 4% tax credit allocations for our affordable projects which continued through the end of fiscal year 21-22. This was in large part due to the scoring, which heavily favored the lowest cost projects. San Francisco, along with the other higher cost jurisdictions, advocated for changes in scoring that also favored the deep affordability that our projects provide. These changes were implemented in the last round of 2022. While we were advocating for changes to the SIDLAC scoring, we were also looking at ways to adjust our financing structure to make our projects more competitive, such as funding the site preparation work separately, as you just heard about last, last meeting with our Blocks 52-54 project. And we believe our success with that project was due to both the updated scoring and that financing structure. We anticipate that that to be the case with upcoming projects that you'll be hearing about in the coming year, such as Transbay Block 2. 
We expect all of these changes to positively impact our ability to secure these critical funding sources. However, the competitive nature of these funding sources does mean that the timing of our projects may continue to be affected, and we certainly saw that in fiscal year 21-22 before the regulation changes. Finally, the overall market conditions in 21-22 affected our projects with construction costs increases, exceeding expectations, and interest rates beginning to rise. So honing in on fiscal year 21-22, we provided gap funds to two projects for a total of $134.4 million. The first is the Hunters Point Shipyard Blocks 5254 project I mentioned, which is a 112-unit affordable family project in the shipyard phase one. And since last year's approval, the developer has applied for bonds and tax credits three times and were finally awarded on the third application, after which we had re restructured our financing and added to our total funding, which Commission approved at the last meeting. We also provided a gap loan to Mission Bay South Block 9A, a 148-unit affordable homeownership project, which was our first homeownership project in many years. And here's a rendering of Block A, which started construction in July, just after the fiscal year, and is on track to be completed next May. And here's Block 52 of our Block 5254 project. As you may remember, uh, Blocks 52 and 54 are made up of two non-contiguous blocks on the hilltop in the shipyard phase one. And here's its partner, Block 54. We expect them to start construction next month and be completed in May 2025. Here we show the distribution of housing types in our completed affordable units to date. This is cumulative, not just for fiscal year 21-22. So far, 72% of our affordable housing is family rental, 14% is home ownership, 5% is senior rental, and 9% is permanently supportive housing. There are more senior rental supportive and home ownership projects in our pipeline, and so these percentages, we expect them to shift a bit in the upcoming years. Fiscal year 21-22, there were two projects under construction. First is the other side of Block 52 across from our affordable project. It's a market rate home ownership project being developed by Lennar. It has 77 units total with nine of them being affordable to households at 80% of AMI. Also, block, Mission Bay South Block 9 is a 141-unit permanent supportive housing development serving formerly homeless households. And as I referenced earlier, this project also has an operating subsidy from the city's local operating subsidy program, which allows for the very deep income targeting of 30% or below on all units. Here's some more renderings and photos of these projects. On top is Block 52, and on the bottom is Block 9. Moving on to marketing, OCII contracts with MoCD to oversee marketing of our affordable units. MoCD provides marketing outcomes reports for each of our projects. OCII closely coordinates with MoCD through our senior development specialist, Pam, Pam Sims, particularly around our occupancy preferences. Certificate of preference or COP holders, including descendants of original COP holders, are always first. Um, then comes Displaced Tenants Housing Preference, or DTHP, that's formerly the Ellis Act Housing Preference, and that's applied to up to 20% of units. And then the Neighborhood housing, Resident Housing Preference, or NRHP, is applied to up to 40% of units, or up to 25% of units if the project includes state funding. 
In fiscal year 21-22, one project achieved 100% lease up, and that was Mission Bay South Block 6 West, or Sister Lillian Murphy Community, which is a 100% affordable family rental project totaling 152 total units, with 38 of the units being set aside for Hope SF Sunnydale voluntarily relocated households. Of the 113 units available in the lottery, there were four COP holders housed, two of those returned to the city, and in total, the project houses 336 people, including 112 children and 32 seniors. Here are some more details about Sister Lillian Murphy Community. This project also houses seven DTHP holders and 28 NRHP holders. You'll be hearing much more about this lease up in Pam's presentation, which is coming up next. Here you can see our COP program results for the last nine years. In total, 87 COP holders have been housed in OCII projects, with 32 of those returning to San Francisco. 427 COP holders applied for housing, and 521 new certificates were issued. Now I'll touch on our small business and workforce goals. Developers on our affordable projects work closely with OCII to achieve our overall 50% goals. In fiscal year 21-22, 53% of our contracts worth 58 million were awarded to SBEs. We achieved 79% SBE participation on professional services contracts, representing $11 million. And we achieved 49% SBE contractors for construction services, representing $47 million. As far as local construction workforce participation, we achieved 25.1%. This represents 150 San Francisco residents performing 40,106 hours of work. Before I wrap up, also during fiscal year 21, 22, and 22, 23, our current year, the housing team has been working away on a variety of projects that didn't make it into this report. You'll be seeing more of them in upcoming meetings this year and in fiscal year 23, 24. These projects include Transbay Block 2 East and West, a 184-unit affordable family and 151-unit senior development, respectively. Development teams for these projects made significant progress on schematic designs during 21-22, and those designs were approved in the first part of fiscal year 22-23. You'll be seeing more items related to these projects in upcoming meetings as they apply for state financing this year and next year. Transbay Block 4, a 324-unit mixed-income tower with a 202-unit standalone affordable component. A disposition and development agreement and related actions were approved by Commission last June. Unfortunately, this project has been delayed due to market conditions, and you'll also be seeing an item related to this project in um, next meeting. We also worked on Hunters Point Shipyard Phase 1, Block 56, a 73-unit affordable family project, and the development team moved through the design development and permitting process and was awarded tax credit and bond financing in the last round of last year. It will also be starting construction next month. And we also worked on the Lynx Insights and Investigations contract to locate and provide current contract contact information for COP holders. It was approved in 21-22, is underway this year, and we expect to have a more substantive update for the commission in the beginning of fiscal year 23-24. And finally, as you've heard from Director Kozlowski, in February of this year, California State Senator Scott Weiner introduced Senate Bill 593, which would allow a limited continuance of OCII's tax increment financing powers to fund up to 5,842 affordable housing units as replacement units 
for units that were never replaced following the period of urban renewal between 1955 and 75. This legislation is making its way through the California legislature, and if approved, would take effect in 2024. We would then be able to further help achieve San Francisco's housing goals, including um, building out our remaining mission-based South affordable blocks at 12 West and 4 East. And finally, just a big thank you to the OCII team. Uh, affordable housing is really um, takes the whole agency to to get built. It's a joint effort for all of us. And we're also really grateful to the commission's ongoing support. So just want to say a big thank you and especially thank you to the housing team, which consists of Pam Sims, Kim Obsfeld, Jasmine Quo, Alicia Andrews, Marie Munson, and Jane Suskin, who did much of the heavy lifting on the annual housing report. I definitely couldn't have made it look as pretty as she did. <laughs> so with that, I will um, wrap up my presentation. I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you for your report. Um, Madam Secretary, do we, um, can we call for public comments? If there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598-367-0207, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again. To enter the call, then press star th three to be placed in the queue. If you're already here in person and would like to provide public comment, you're welcome to come up to the podium. And if there are any members of the public who joined us by phone already, please press star three if you would like to be placed in the queue. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. At this moment, public com comment will officially close on this item and I will... Um, Look towards my fellow commissioners to see if you have any comments or questions for the housing team. Um, <clears throat> Madam Chair, I want to thank Elizabeth for such a fine report um, and commend your team. Um, Sonia, I cannot commend enough uh, because of the community. When we give out phone numbers, we give out Sonia's name and they are calling left and right and she's helping, and this is the first time I've seen you, but she's helped them through the pandemic and housing has been given. And I cannot clap enough and thank you enough for navigating during the pandemic, you know, a harder time in working from home. Um, for the help that's been given, the reports that are coming in, and uh, the satisfaction in what they're receiving and being placed in. Thank you, um, Pam, the whole team, Elizabeth, um, Ms. Benjamin. Just, I, I thank you all, and I cannot say enough because that's been one of the hardships, listening to the pain. And my only question is, uh, there was a question around the grand, great-grand, great-great-great-grandchildren. And we were told to wait about a year and a half or so during the pandemic, and it should fully kick in with the city and everything. Has that kicked in where the great-grand, great-great-grands can now go forward without being turned back? Commissioner Scott, um, 
there's a subsequent item that is going to give an update on the Certificate of Preference program, and uh, Ms. Benjamin and Sonia are here to provide that update. So if we can ask them to answer that question during that time, if you don't mind, which is the next item. Thank you. Okay. I have another question regarding the Certificate of Preference, but I'll hold that one for the next item. Thanks so much. Really want to commend the staff um, for a wonderful report. It's so uh, critical that we shine a light on all of the great work that this, uh, this agency is doing, especially around housing delivery. Um, one suggestion um, for inclusion in the report, uh, clearly, you know, we've been in a housing crisis for some time, uh, and I'd love to give the public some clarity and transparency around the timeline for development. Uh, so whether it's market rate uh, or affordable housing, just where is the time going uh, between uh, entitlement of these, of these projects to the pre-development uh, entitlement work, the financing, uh, and then construction, uh, just so we can be really clear with what our, our timelines uh, and delivery are, uh, and hopefully setting some goals, uh, you know, just, just previewing. I uh, would love for this commission to set some goals around uh, timeline and delivery uh, of these really important projects, because um, folks can't wait uh, for these really uh, needed uh, housing units. Um, so would love to add a section uh, to the report that really uh, shines a light on uh, the, the length of time uh, based on those different activities um, and, and also provide some transparency for when it is an issue like state financing that that's outside of OCII's control. Um, so where we can be held accountable, I think we rightfully should, uh, and when the uh, issue may be with a, with a key partner, um, also being transparent as to those uh, obstacles as well. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Drew. Um, my comments are more to um, shine more praise on our staff and also our community partners with MOHCD who has um, spoke in conversations, many of them with all of the different commissioners sitting up here and the ones in the past um, about how do we make the COP um, program better as well as to deliver housing to um, the general greater body of San Francisco um, families who are really needing and seeking housing, especially during the pandemic when we are seeing a lot of dislocation of people and um, loss of jobs and being able to have um, a program and staff that is responsive has really been um, a bright, a bright um, moment for us to see um, that actually happening and including um, some of our concerns around um, how marketing was working in these kind of different phases of the project, like when the um, public would be noticed about when these opportunities would come about. And so just really wanted to uplift you guys and say thank you for that and for, you know, pushing back the timeline. I think when I first started on this commission, it was like three to six months and you guys have pushed it back to like almost a year now. Is that correct? <laughs> In terms of noticing about um, availability of upcoming <coughs> units and stuff like that, whether they be for affordable housing or um, market rate purchase. Um, I did have a couple questions, um, and this is more in terms of like the trajectory or the timeline of what we've been seeing in terms of COP over the last nine years. And so I noticed in the report, I know 2021, 2021 was not a reflective year of like how OCII has performed in terms of COP, but I'm also noticing that as we are trending up, I'm also noticing that we're still kind of stagnant in placement versus applications. So just wanted to get a little bit of... Um, maybe a little bit information on what are you guys seeing as trends that might be prohibiting that or um, maybe challenging to market to? Sure. 
Um, I would, I would uh, perhaps turn that over to Pam. And, and if I can ask, is this information that is contained in the next presentation? Yes. Mm -hmm. Chair Brackett, would you mind? Um, yeah, I'll reserve that comment okay. for the next one then. Thank That's you so fine. much, and it's a great question. Thank you. And that concludes my questions. Um, do any of my commissions have any follow-up questions or concerns? If not, we will um, take no more further comments from the commission. And Madam Secretary, um, do we have any motions for this item? Actually, because it is a workshop. Uh, oh, it's just a workshop. Okay. Action will not be required. Sorry. Shall I call the next item? Yes, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Thank you. Next is agenda item number 5C, workshop on annual certificate of preference marketing and outreach report for fiscal year 2021 to 2022 from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Discussion. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, Commissioners, members of the public, similar to the previous item, this is a workshop, so no action is necessary. Um, this is an update on marketing for OCII projects, especially as it relates to the Certificate of Preference Program, which will be explained uh, further in the presentation. Um, Pam Sims, from Senior Housing Development Specialist from OCII, along with Maria Benjamin and Sonia McDaniels from MOACD, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, will present this item. Thank you. Pam. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett. Vice Chair Ludlam, Commissioners Scott and Drew, Executive Director Kozlowski, and General Counsel Morales. Uh, again, I'm Pam Sims. I'm a Senior Development Specialist uh, in the Housing Division, and I'm here to talk today about the COP Holder Annual Report for Fiscal Year 2122. Um, today, Maria Benjamin and I will be providing you with a summary of COP Holder activity in both OCII and MOCD projects. Also, Maria will be providing updates on how Dahlia is operating and an update on the MOCD expansion activities per Assembly Bill 1584, which provides descendants of originally displaced household members the ability to obtain a certificate with appropriate documentation, which became effective on January 1st, 2022. First, a very brief refresher. Um, per state law, the Certificate of Preference, or COP, program was created to provide an affordable housing preference for low- and moderate-income households that were displaced due to redevelopment agency action. The preference provides qualified COP holders a lottery priority when renting or purchasing an affordable OCII or MOCD unit. All COP holder applicants must meet the income requirements for the project for which they are applying. For fiscal year 21-22, there were 914 active COP holders who were receiving information on new rental and homeownership opportunities. And of this number, a total of 310 individuals have used their certificate once. And as Elizabeth Colomello said, um, for fiscal year 21-22, we had one um, housing development uh, that completed lease-up, 691 China Basin, also known as Sister Lillian Murphy Community, which is a mouthful. Um, and of the 20 COP holders who applied, for the 113 rental units, four were housed. The reason COP holders were not housed include no response, they withdrew from the lease-up process, 
they were over income, and two requested to be added to the wait list to be considered at a later time. And now I'd like to turn it over to Maria to provide an update for the MOCD activities. Thank you, Pam. Good afternoon, commissioners. It's a pleasure to see you again. I think the last time I stood before you, I had dark hair. Uh, um, so time has gone on. Um, uh, I think me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm so happy to be back and talking with you. And thank you, uh, Commissioner Scott, in uh, of your advance. Um, um, acknowledgments of Sonia McDaniel and um, we it's been a it's been a trip it's been um, you know we had to turn on a dime to keep the engines going and the people going from our houses and um, Sony was uh, uh, you know right there on the phone on her cell phone talking to COP holders and making sure that they understood that we were still moving and we're still moving and if they wanted to move and so it's it was really it's been a um, challenging time but we're we see the light at the end of the tunnel and um, um, I'm going to report some fun facts if you can call them fun facts about our COP holders that um, are in MoCD projects this th during this reporting period um, there was only one one OCII project um, that was um, finished was finished lease up, um, but there were twelve COP holders that um, uh, were moved into housing in MoCD housing. They needed financial assistance to move in, and we were able to um, make that happen through our regular subsidies that we provide through Catholic Charities and other nonprofits that can help with move-in costs or with actual rent if, they, if they're uh, uh, under income for the rent. Two of our certificates uh, of preference holders came back to San Francisco during this period um, from the East Bay and beyond as far as Sacramento. Um, eight, and this is, this is the fun fact, so eight used their certificates within five years of getting them, right? So they, they got a certificate issued and then they decided to move with it. And four of them held that certificate for 45 years before they decided to move. A lot of folks moved into housing after they were displaced and raised their families and continued on. Um, and are using those certificates now to be able to come back either if they moved away, come back to San Francisco, or if they're now they, they don't need the place where they lived before, now they're going into senior housing. So it's, it's, we're really um, happy to be able to uh, provide certificates or help folks use certificates throughout their lifetime. If they have that certificate they've, that they've never used, they should be able to use it in their lifetime. Um, so uh, the, the majority of COP holders um, were looking for one, they were one or two person households, which is, you know, which makes sense because they're, they're older now and so they're moving on. Um, I want to talk to you about the ones that weren't housed. This looks like a shocking number, 
85% uh, of the 192 applications that uh, COP holders submitted during this period uh, were, uh, they didn't move forward. So what, what in the world? That makes you look like, what in the world? What's that about? 52% um, were because the COP holder just didn't respond once the leasing agent called. And it's not just call, it's call, it's email, it's regular mail, and it's call over and over again. And it's also texting that we require uh, the leasing agents, much to their chagrin, they don't like that. They want to move on to the next person. But we, we mandate that they really retry to reach out to, to COP holders. And um, when Sony calls some of those folks back, they answer her call. <laughs> and when she says, what, what, you know, what's, what's the story? Why didn't you move forward? I, I don't want that one. I did decide I didn't want that one. And so you know, we, we, are, we, we work with them to at least respond. Um, but we, we understand when, um, that, they're, that they're not. So that's 52% of them. 16% um, wanted to be, didn't want the, the opportunity right then, but they wanted to be added onto a wait list. And that's fine too. So they got a wait list opportunity. And maybe they'll use that later on. 18% decided that they were, that after the lottery, they said, they actually called back and said, okay, I don't want this. And they, they actually withdrew their application. The main reason people decided not to move during this reporting period, which was still during the pandemic, um, is that they didn't want to move during the pandemic. They didn't want to, they, you know, they, they were housed and they wanted to stay put until all this was a little more settled. Um, the other factors of reasons why they might, they might apply and then decide not to are like, you know, the location, their, the unit size, they're not really, you know, they're not looking at the details of it. They're applying and then looking at the details and deciding to not apply. I want you to know that less than 2% were denied because of credit or eviction background or criminal background. It's a very, very small number. And, and I think that speaks to some of the standardization that we've done to eligibility criteria across the board that developers, leasing agents aren't able to just say, oh, no, no, you didn't meet the credit and because we're there to make sure that they are able to. Um, certificate of preference holders have choices just like you and I, and if they don't like the, the layout of the unit and they're, they're housed already, They'll wait their turn until they find a unit that they do like. Um, Dahlia. Um, Dahlia, you know, it's been, <laughs> thank you very much for, you've been there from the beginning with us with the Dahlia. It's a long process. We're still, uh, we've got the, the web app application. It's working beautifully. People are applying. We, if we hadn't had Dahlia during the pandemic, then I don't know how people would, we wouldn't have been able to keep the trains rolling. Um, and um, we received over 150,000 applications, electronic applications during this reporting period with almost 150,000 of them being for rental housing. Um, we also were able to develop a, uh, what we call Dahlia Partners, which is a web app for our developers 
requiring them to put the information about each and every applicant into this system. Before, we could only give you anecdotal information before this tool. We could only give you anecdotal information as to why people didn't, were denied, why people were um, uh, not called or whatever. Now that they we're making them use this system where they have to report out to us, we have real data as to what's happening with folks. Um, it, uh, it's, been a, uh, it's been an excellent tool and we'll be able to continue to provide you with that kind of data. Um, the other thing about uh, our Dahlia project, now COP holders have access to the application online. They can fill it out online. They can submit it online um, rather than, you know, uh, having to gather their stuff and copy their stuff. Now they take, it's very, very uh, great that they take pictures with their phones of their birth certificates and their other documents and upload them. And um, uh, we're able to to expand that service to them. We also are expanding services to it with our nonprofits or we continue our services with our nonprofits to help folks um, if they don't have a smartphone, if they don't have access to a digital uh, world, that they can go in and get help uh, through one of the nonprofits that the city funds. Um, so the COP expansion. So that we are so delighted that um, that to to have had to to be able to have the opportunity to offer a certificate of preference to descendants, and it is just heartwarming. I can't tell you how when I'm approving these and I see a. 20-year-old person that I'm giving a certificate of preference to or somebody who has a, fa a young family that now they're, and they're young people that we're going to be able to really provide them with uh, this opportunity in, in ways that, that, that we couldn't before and um, that have, uh, that ways that really address what happened to their family um, um, in the 60s and 70s and previously. So it's, it's very exciting. During this reporting period, um, during this reporting period, 68 of the 176 applications we received from COP folks were descendants. This is when we it just first started. Um, and um, we issued 30 uh, uh, descendant certificates. Um, but since then, since July of uh, 2022, yes, um, we've received 273 certificate requests. And 72% of those were from descendants. Um, there are, we have issued 79 certificates during that, during the, as a follow-up to this report. Um, and 52 of those have been to descendants. We're still processing um, uh, several. Uh, we've got um, about 65 of those that we're waiting for the descendant to provide a birth certificate. Um, and then we've, we're working on about 40 right now, processing currently. We get about 30 a month, maybe, Sony? 30 new requests a month. Um, and 
Sonia McDaniel is the only one processing those certificates. So it takes us a good long time to get through them, but bless her heart, she's working like I don't know what. We were able to provide her with some administrative help to, um, to uh, um, get through the data part of it, but it's, we are in the process of hiring additional staff that should be able to help her as well. Like many city agencies, we've had staffing issues dur during the pandemic. It's taking, it takes a very long time to fill our positions, but we're working on that as well. Uh, and we, have, uh, we, we see the light at the end of that tunnel too. Um, so we have uh, 52 people have actually used their certificate in that, in that since July. Five of them were descendants. Um, and we have denied 59 households a certificate of preference. 33 of those were descendants. Now, why are we denying? We're, we're denying if the applicant doesn't know the address that their family was displaced from or doesn't know the name of the household member that was displaced, there's not really any way that we can l look it up to see that they were displaced. So that is the major reason why we um, have, we, we, we turn people back. And we don't turn people back just by saying, oh, you're, you're denied. Um, we give them ideas about, we show them the list of, of properties that were, dis, that we have on record as being uh, the displacement sites. We, we, we refer them to housing counselors that can maybe help with the search of their family. Um, we, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough, but, um, but those are the, the basic things that folks kind of have to know. The name of their ancestor that was displaced and where they were displaced. Um, the Lynx project that I believe Elizabeth spoke of earlier has been instrumental in helping get uh, word out to certificate of preference holders while we are still preparing our <coughs> more extensive outreach uh, program. Um, and it, it, it's, uh, it's been great, because they're doing the outreach to certificate holders already, right? And so they're also telling, hey, your kids can, can come along. And um, it's been extremely helpful. Uh, we've done a lot of educating of, the, of their team, so make sure that they're properly selling the program and so that people know what they're getting or wh wh why it would be useful to their uh, families. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's been very fruitful. Um, as far as the expansion into MoCD uh, sponsored, or I'm sorry, not MoCD, uh, city sponsored affordable housing, um, we are working still in progress with that as well, uh, working um, and to provide um, opportunities in city-sponsored affordable housing in the next year. It's a very, it's been a long process and um, we're, we're all anxious to get it going and uh, it, it is, we're, we're, we're working to get that done as well. I think I have touched on all my points that I was supposed to touch on. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. And we're happy to answer any questions you might have. Absolutely. In fact, I'm just going to stay here because I know y'all got questions. <laughs> <laughs> For public comment.
If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598-367-0207, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call, then press star 3 to be placed in the queue. If you're already listening to us by phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star 3 to be placed in the queue and would like to begin by inviting anyone in person to come up to the podium if you would like to provide a public comment. And at this time, if there are any members of the public by phone who would like to provide public comment, please press star three. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. With no um, public comments in queue, I would like to close public comment and um, move it over to my fellow commissioners. Commissioner Drew, do you have any public? Thank you. Um, I was hoping uh, to get a little bit more information about uh, links, and uh, I think uh, Ms. Benjamin, you mentioned an expanded uh, outreach program. I was hoping just to understand like what's uh, what's on on deck. What's what are we doing moving forward? Okay, uh, thank you, Commissioner. Um, actually, in December 2021, the Commission approved a contract, a personal services contract with Lynx Investigations, and um, it, they responded to an RFP that uh, the agency put out, and um, their goal is to contact um, originally displaced COP holders or originally displaced individuals so they can become COP holders. And um, they are, um, they've, they started real work probably in November of 2022. Um, they expect to be completed in May, um, oh, next month. Um, and then in June, uh, we will bring a report to the commission to uh, report on individuals that they found, individuals they couldn't find because there was name only, individuals um, that were deceased, um, and just kind of a, a snapshot of the work that they've done. What's super interesting, and which I'm really excited about, just to piggyback on what Maria said, is that it's, it's interesting because um, the descendants are giving the information for the originally displaced individuals. So they might have reached out and contacted by phone or email, and the descendants are calling back. And they're super chatty, and they're giving all kinds of history, and they're lovely, um, and they're super excited. So anyway, um, the report is going to be fantastic, and I can hardly wait to share it with you guys. That's, thank you for that uh, overview and excited to see uh, the results of that report. Uh, so to confirm, Lynx is currently only looking for the individual displaced folks. Through that, they're also identifying descendants? Or Correct. Or is there kind of more, and, and is that like a, a formal part of their scope of work? Um, it wasn't initially. Um, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, it wasn't initially, but instead, uh, what they're doing is they're looking at family units. So an individual that was displaced, they're looking at as a whole unit. And so it's the head of household and the children who were in there. So when they research that in contact, once you contact one child uh, that was a child at the time, then they contact each other's cousins. And it's like a backwards tree almost yeah um so uh yes that's that's what they're doing 
Okay, so to the extent that they are receiving that information, they're recording it so that we can help Correct. Uh, do the absolutely outreach, mm -hmm. like proactive outreach. Great, thank you. And that will be the basis of our outreach when the larger outreach campaign that we um, conduct. We're telling they're telling people about it now, and that's great. But we intend to do a much more strategic outreach plan for um, reaching those folks that. Uh, might not have moved forward or making sure that they understand what the benefit is of receiving this certificate and using it in our housing. Great, yeah. Yeah, I think this expansion is just super important. So, if, you know, under, understandably, and I know you appreciate, uh, you know, want folks to know that it's available, um, you know, and that they have eligibility, what it means, um, et cetera. So glad to hear about those um, expanded plans uh, on, on the map. Um, I think my next question is actually more uh, directed to uh, Director Kozlowski. Uh, the San Francisco uh, Reparations Committee uh, has uh, their draft recommendations out, which does identify kind of several areas of inquiry uh, regarding the COP program. Uh, I was hoping you could give us an, an update. I know you've been engaging uh, in, that, in that process, and what are you seeing as the, the next steps uh, in regards to the COP program uh, and that uh, committee's recommendations? Thank you, Commissioner Drew. Um, that'll be, I have an item to address that in my report. So if you, if you um, don't mind, I'd love to do it then. This is other information about that, that hearing and uh, some of the discussions that I'd like to share as well. Great, I'll, I'll stay tuned. <laughs> and uh, lastly, in uh, looking through the staff memo, uh, it seems like a major barrier for folks moving forward was access to permanent subsidies. Um, just want to make sure I'm kind of understanding how many folks weren't able to access housing uh, because they were under income uh, and what tools and resources uh, we have to help folks access uh, permanent sure. subsidies. Sure, that's yeah, always uh, an issue. Um, there were about 14%, no, I would say 13%, I'm sorry, I don't have them, didn't do the math here for that, that were either um, over income or under income for the opportunity that they applied for. And we, the city does have resources. We are working with um, uh, HSH and um, our community development arm to make sure that COP holders are prioritized for, for uh, subsidies. However, they still run out. And um, you know, there are just not enough subsidies that, that are available um, in, within the city's budget. So, but you, you should know that COP holders absolutely have uh, a priority and preference when they are, uh, when we have, when the subsidies are flowing, um, we, we uh, Sony works very hard with, uh, with Catholic Charities to make sure that our certificate of preference holders receive those subsidies. Great, thank you. Appreciate hearing that the COP holders are prioritized in those processes. I have some questions uh, regarding the 85% of applicants that did not move forward. Um, the biggest chunk are uh, those who didn't respond to the leasing agent. Um, so how long a period uh, do callbacks go on? Yeah. Uh, well, it depends on the leasing agent, but we require that they that they make try to make contact at least five different ways over a two week period, 
And, um, and then, you know, um, because Sonia is, um, Sonia McDaniel is so integrated with folks, she, you know, calls them up and, you know, what's going on? And when they answer her phone call, <laughs> we can find out, ah, oh, I didn't want that one. I didn't want that one. Um, okay, yeah. so they're just not expecting the leasing agent and not comfortable reaching out to them? Is that what's generally happening? I honestly, from and anecdotally, I honestly think that it is that when, when they go to apply, they just apply for everything because they can, and it's, they're going to be at the top of every wait list, every, every, every lottery list. And then after the lottery, that's when they start looking at the, at the actual project, at the actual location, uh, whether there's parking, whether what the rent is, uh, what the you know square footage is, and then if then you know if it didn't meet their personal needs, then they um, you know wait for the next one. I wonder if there's a way for us to play with the process uh, to disincentivize that. Yeah. Because um, it uh, you know it's it's. Someone said it's a problem for the developers, but it's also a problem for the public good uh, when so much time goes by yes. uh, and a unit stays empty. Um. Well, that, but, uh, thank you, Commissioner. Um, we hear that, um, although um, we, we are, um, committed to housing COP holders and giving every opportunity. And that's why the leasing agent reaches out multiple times. And, and at that point, that's when um, Sonia McDaniel gets involved and she'll call. Um, but it, it's not, once we go through the COP holders, the process goes much quicker. It's just that we want to give every single opportunity to get COP holders housed if they want the opportunity. I appreciate that. Uh, and I'm not suggesting we shorten the window or anything. I just, I don't know if we present the specific unit materials earlier. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, something in Sonia's communications that says, hey, don't apply for every unit if you have no interest. Uh, I suspect there's a easy communications and cultural solution to just uh, prevent, you know, 85% of applications not moving forward is way too high. Uh, and we should, we should have a goal to reduce that. You know, that number is also a little artificially high because Yes, 85% of the 192 applications, but that's not 192 people. There are, there, uh, the, I have to, 82, actually 82 people um, uh, submitted the 192 applications. So 82 certificate of preference holders. And so what that means is that some of those folks are, are applying to multiple um, opportunities. I agree that you know, Sony, I've, I've heard her say to people, you know, you don't have to apply if you don't want the unit um, or if you don't, if you're, you should look at it first. Um, we can do better at making, at, at 
explaining to folks what that does to the process when they do that, and we 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 should. Um, I, I but I still feel like certificate of preference holders feel like this is their this is their program and this is their thing, and if it's an if it's a if it's an inconvenient thing to us that they apply for more things, then you know it's we need to deal with that. And so we do need to deal with that. Um, and um, we can do everything we can do to to mitigate it. And I think, I think, I think that's very true. Um, one other question, uh, which was sort of a throwaway line in the presentation, was that, uh, that some folks uh, withdraw their application when they find out about parking availability. Uh, and I was just wondering more for our general context, how pervasive uh, an issue is that? Uh, are you finding that generally, you know, our projects are underparked, and this is a common reason to withdraw? You go ahead, Pam. Okay. Uh, and uh, thank you, Commissioner, for that question. Um, actually, OCI projects are a little different because OCI projects we usually have parking, parking. Um, and most tends not to have, they have less or none. Um, so if that were the case, that would happen more in most CD projects. Um, and as you know, COP holders get first preference because we go in lottery rank order um, to fill the parking spaces. So if a COP holder wants a parking space, they get it yeah. in, a, in an OCI project. That's really true. Um, and yeah, but in the bigger world of city-sponsored affordable housing, some projects have no parking, and some projects have limited two two spaces for all of the BMRs in there. And so, and and if there's a COP holder that is in spots one, two, and three on that lottery list, then one and two are going to get those spots. But number three, it's going to not get a spot, and they, it might mean that much to them that they wait until the, another spot comes up. Yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Scott? Commissioner Scott? Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. And thank you so much, uh, Ms. Benjamin. Um, my question is, and I, as I said, I've talked to a lot of the residents and then sat in meetings in AACP and community meetings where they share um, the depression, the uh, fear, um, and looking at what they hear over and over again. If you work for Muni, you make too much money. Yet, they can't afford to live here, mm -hmm. and they need mm -hmm. the affordable housing. And this is where they grew up, went to school, parents built the city. They helped sustain the city, and then they can't live in it, or they want to come back. And that bothers me. It's like a setup for failure. Mm. You make too much, and you make too little. And so then that means they're homeless, yet we're housing and finding a way to house our homeless, people that are coming out of programs with addictions. They have no money. There's nothing. But then we're telling the person that's working, you make too little. 
And so this is where in meetings I can only be the listening ear. Mm -hmm. But I feel that we should be able to try, is there another policy that could come up? Is there a way of lowering and raising the bar? Because they deserve to be able to live at home and in their city. Um, this is the cry of many of the men and women. And that's why that 80%, they know when they start, or if they pick up the phone and call back, they're going to tell me I make too much. They're going to tell me they might, I yeah, make yes. too out. little because they know their co-workers and colleagues that have retired are getting that. So that's one of the reasons. I'm thankful for those that are getting through that the language is simpler mm -hmm. and they're understanding it. And I wish we had more Sonia McDaniel. Me too. Because I, I mean, the other thing uh, that they get discouraged about Sonia's answering everything she can by picking up the phone, her cell phones, you know. She's given me two cell phone numbers, you know, to give them. But the thing of it is, when she's on that line, then the others can't get to her when they call back. It, they can't get through. And so they get through as much as they can, and they get the help and the support they need. Are we thinking about adding... Um, Sonia's given help, but are we thinking about increasing the Sonia's that would do that work and help her to successfully uh, navigate and uh, have her to train them how to talk to the people because they really have come back to the meetings inspired and encouraged with Sonia's language and her navigation. And I'm very proud of that and thankful. I, I want to uh, first address, yes, um, uh, address, so, Sony is um, phenomenal. Um, there and, and we can't, there's nobody like Sony, so we can't get exactly a Sony. But, um, but yes, the, in, the, in the mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development budget for preferences, we have three positions. And currently, only Sony's is uh, is, on, is act, actually have a, has a body in it. We are we have one of the positions is out right now for hire, and the other we are talking uh, we are negotiating uh, um, an actual um, con uh, employment with. So, um, so 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 she's help is on the way for Sonia. Um, I want to go back to the, one of your first comments about the AMI levels, uh, the the being too people getting cut off, a muni driver, or, or um, and there in 2017, at least in the inclusionary program, there were some adjustments made in the city side that I believe OCII has mirrored as well uh, to some degree, uh, uh, higher AMI levels in new projects. Um, so there are, but those, pro, you know, that takes like four or five years for those projects to come on board so that we see those a higher AMI levels. And so we're just beginning to see them now. Um, and 80% uh, instead of 55 or 100% instead of 60% uh, AMI. So that there's more room for people to be able to qualify. 
Um, and and in our homeownership side, whenever somebody says, "Oh, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm, I got, I make too much money," we Sony gets on the phone with them and says, "Well, come on over to the homeownership side because you might not." You might be over income for this rental unit, but you could own your own unit. And so we're really hopeful that with the projects coming in the next year, um, uh, uh, Transbay 9, not Mission Bay, sorry, 9A, that we'll have so many home ownership opportunities that will be affordable at those, those, you know, those levels uh, to be able to, to get people in. Um, at least somewhere. Mm, I can witness to that. They come to the meeting saying, Sonia said I can own a uh -huh. home. And literally, they are saving money. They're, they're even coming telling us how much they've saved so far, and they're looking forward to that. I'm just going to go and get a lesser place somewhere and save my money to own. So that's creating a lot of hope. And it's just those that are older, Yes. the baby boomers, and that's a huge population that we will make homeless. And that's where I say, what can we do differently? Thank you. Thank you, commissioners, for your comments. Um, I have a couple comments. Um, mainly, I think one of the things that we're kind of missing in this dialogue is um, conditions that have exacerbated during the pandemic. And so while we've had a lot of improvements in terms of technology and processes, there is a large swath of San Franciscans who do not have access to Wi-Fi, who do not have access to applying to these programs, who do not have access to the changing AMI levels and the paperwork that goes with that. And due to the lack of being able to actually do in-person community engagement, that's also reduced the information flows into some of our most needy communities. And so my concern is that um, while we're discussing like some of the things that are working well and some of the things that are working not so well, I'm also getting that there needs to be more information available to the public and especially to COP and marginalized groups around what's changed with our programs, how do people benefit from that, and is there a strategy in place, or are there things that you guys are putting in place to partner with some of these organizations like the NAACP, the Latino Task Force, CYC, et cetera, to really maybe even do something like a big um, fair, housing fair, where people can know about that in advance, six months in advance, because that's mm -hmm. the other issue that's happening as well. A lot of events that are supposed to provide this training are either so last minute or people find out right. after the fact and they get deflated again. So we'd just like to know what is, what's coming. The, the excellent um, comments. And um, we, um, we, we feel that as well. Um, most CD has put in a lot of energy and funding resources into um, ensuring that folks have internet access and Wi-Fi th throughout the city. There are some neighborhoods, you can imagine which ones, that are worse, that have like pockets where your phone just, you, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, so to, to, we're, we're working um, to ensure that folks that in those targeted neighborhoods get a Wi-Fi first uh, and, um, and 
absolutely uh, investing in those local groups that are within those communities to be able to provide the resources uh, to be able to help people with applications and uh, drop-in clinics where they can come in and use their why you know teach them how to use the computers and um, and and that kind of of, of of access on the marketing side, it re, we, everything took a hit, right? So we're all like nobody, even my own staffers, like, oh, are we going to do a public event? Oh, nervous coming out of all this, and yes, we are. And um, uh, we did our first one, uh, housing expo, um, and what's the name of the school that we did it? I don't remember the name of the school. right next to the opera house. There's an elementary school there that we... Oh, um, Leola Harvard. Yes, thank you. Um, however, I, I wasn't satisfied with the outreach that was done. And so lessons learned. Um, we are, we will, when we plan our next housing expo, um, I was so excited to have it in community and then to, to not have that in community kind of... Um, um, response. Yeah, was uh, disappointing and lots of lessons learned. And so the next time you see an, uh, an expo, we'll make sure that uh, it is widely in community known. Mm. Thank you. Did you want to say something else before my if next you, question? Go ahead. Finish, yes, yeah. go ahead. Question right there on that. Um, I was really excited. The San Francisco Housing and Development was at the Juneteenth oh, yeah. and the July Festival. And people walked by, people walked by, but as persons began to stand and just get one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. information and attention, and they gave them their cards, they had pins, and things picked up because they're working all at home just about. Right. That might be something you want to plug into going forward. Um, to get out information and to help folk to understand that it, you are here and there is an opportunity and possibilities. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. They're one of our key partners. Commissioner Drew, you had another question. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wanted to uh, pick up on a, a thread of Dr. Scott uh, and ask just about like what is the funding relationship between OCII and MoCD as housing successor? Uh, and we talk when we talk about having additional Sonias, which sounds really critical. Uh, is OCII providing the funding um, for those roles and those positions, or, or is MoCD funding those? And could we, as commissioners, um, help? expand uh, the possible? Um, MOCI and OCII enjoy a contract, a memorandum of understanding together. And yes, uh, OCII does pay for their share of the staffing of, uh, of, of, uh, of the staff that that work on marketing, that work on lease overseeing lease up and um, uh, and the certificate of preference program, um, and uh, you know we with the mayor's budget, and so together, you know, if if there's a need for additional staff, there we'll work that out when it's budget time through the budget process. 
right now with two vacant positions, it's kind of hard to ask for more when we haven't had a full uh, So uh, we will look for it to that in the future. If I can add, uh, Commissioner Drew, I mean, it's a good point, and um, some of this will be discussed in the uh, workshop, not the workshop, this will be the action item for the annual budget for the agency. We'll speak to that MO, MOU with MOHCD. Um, and I've heard this from several quarters of um, the city. It's been extraordinarily hard during the pandemic for the city mm -hmm. to hire positions. And so uh, the what we're hearing about, about uh, Sonia McDaniels fielding a lot of calls, doing a lot of direct work, um, it sounds like she should open up an institute, the Sonia McDaniels Institute of yeah. uh, <laughs> Certificate of Preference <laughs> Management. Um, but uh, filling those positions is crucial, and so we'll be working with MOHCD on that, and I've heard a lot of good ideas. I've spoken to many of you offline and heard other ideas, and I'd love to work uh, with Ms. Benjamin and the staff to think about sort of a broader strategy. Uh, Ms. Columello and I talked about taking this OCII housing workshop out on the road, uh, going to our CACs, going to community meetings, going to HOAs, et cetera, going to the community, in mm -hmm. addition to the large-scale fairs, so smaller uh, sort of focus groups, if you will, to let people know about not only housing opportunities, but talk about the work of OCII, talk about MOHCD, talk about a certificate of preference program, talk about how people get access to that uh, information, some of it digital, some of it manual. Um, San Francisco Housing Development Corporation, SFHDC, of course, does tremendous outreach, so partnering with organizations that have high degree of competency and working in the community. And so we, we see a lot of opportunities coming back out of the pandemic. You know, this is our second, I think, in-person meeting here as a commission, so People are getting more comfortable meeting in person. And so I think that's going to be an extraordinary opportunity. And we have a, not a long way to go, but a, I see a, a lot of bright uh, brightness at the end of the tunnel. So I just wanted to make those additional comments. You have another question, Commissioner Drew? Um, and so my second question is um, around unit size housing. Um, I know that that has always been quite a challenge, especially in the cost of um, housing and so forth, and just would like to get a little bit more information on what we're hearing from the general applicants around the unit size housing and if that's been a challenge for them to accept. Um, what, if they, what are they actually asking for? Are they asking for like the two and three and four bedrooms or you know, is it a studio and that's all that's available is a studio within their price range? Sometimes, yes, that that might be the the issue that the, the only the only available unit that was in within their price range is very small. Um, you know, uh, I think this is something that goes across all of market rate, below market rate, OCII, MoCD, um, that um, the, we're building smaller units um, than we once did. And um, uh, the demand is certainly there for an increasing in our COP pool. As we have bring in more of these young folks, the demand for larger units is going to grow. At this point, most of our, our existing certificate of preference holders are one and two person households. Uh, um, so the unit sizes, would fit them, they might not desire to have a smaller unit. Maybe they have family that they want to come and they have, you know, and so they're, they, they would rather have a larger unit. And I get it. Some of these studios, man, are like very Boxes. small. 
<laughs> yes, uh, on on the on the market rate side, you know, and then in a, in, a, in inclusionary f- for the city benefit from the city programs. We don't dictate unit size. It's it's up to the market developer. So if the market developer is building a 300 square foot studio, or they call it a one bedroom, and it's 300 square feet, then you know it's uh, it, that's what we got. Uh, and I'm going to let Pam address the OCII unit size. Uh, thank you, Commissioner, for that question. Um, actually, our OCI units um, tend to be on the larger size in comparison to the MOCD units, um, but Maria totally hit on it. It's that um, the COP holders that I've worked with during lease-ups, um, they, they don't really want the unit that they qualify for. They want a larger unit. Um, three bedrooms are very attractive. Um, even though they really don't qualify for a three-bedroom, they really qualify for a one uh, because it's a single-person household. Um, so it's that kind of realization that they don't realize until they get into the leasing process. So um, like you were saying before, like pre-education would be super helpful. So thank you. Is it that they don't qualify for the three-bedroom because their family size isn't big Correct. enough? Correct. Or is it? Okay. Correct. Yeah, it could be both, right? Okay. Income or family size. Mm-hmm. And in terms of when it's income um, that they don't qualify, like maybe they're too low in the income, mm-hmm. how are we leveraging other city program funding, like possibly like Prop C money, DreamKeepers money, et cetera, et cetera, to help people qualify other than just using tax increments and stuff like that? How sure. are we actually leveraging our housing funds that we have accessible to us? The city has a pretty large subsidy budget and the city has a pretty large subsidy demand so it it you know as as projects come on board people go in and they use those subsidies um, and we provide funding to catholic charities and to other nonprofits who then run those subsidy programs and so if there is subsidy available if somebody needs a three-bedroom unit and they've got three people in their household and they just can't afford that and it's a COP person, they are more than likely, if there's subsidies available, they are more than likely to get that subsidy. Most, most, most definitely going to get that subsidy. Um, it's just when the funding runs out um, and sometimes towards the end of the fiscal year, that's where we are. And if the project comes happens to come on at that time, then uh, we're... Uh, yeah. So in a previous lifetime, I worked with the city subsidy programs oh. <laughs> back in 1998 with Catholic Charities. So I'm very familiar with that process and how that works. And I think one of my, um, I guess the best way that I can say is something that um, breaks my heart with the program is that the funding is usually only available the first four to five months of the year. And then it literally runs out. And there are only specific programs that are slated, like um, I believe it was our, um, I'm sorry, it was like a veterans program that where they mm-hmm. basically stretch the money along the whole year mm-hmm. where those people were still able to be housed. And so it concerns me now as we're coming out of the pandemic knowing that a lot of people did not qualify or did not receive subsidies during the pandemic to pay back rent, et cetera, et cetera, and we're moving into this 
new realm where people are going to need subsidies to move and that money's not available year round. And so I just was wondering from a policy perspective, what can be done to ensure that that money is available when new projects come about? So if we know next year, May 2024, this property is going to be needed to be leased up, we need to make sure that there's a pot of money available for those 138 units or whatever percentage of that that means, whether it's a 20 or 30 percent set aside, that they can actually access. I don't think that it's a smart thing to continue to keep doing what's failing us. And we need to be able to be proactive to finding out, like, how can we match up our resources with the needs and not just leave it out there as a free-for-all for whenever people can qualify. We really need to support the people who are applying and expecting to get into these units. I agree, and I think that the, uh, I, I know that the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development is working with uh, the nonprofits that we fund as well as the mayor's staff to, to secure additional, wherever we can, pulling out money um, to meet the demand of, of our rental subsidies. And it's a, not an easy thing. Yeah. Um, I know, it's difficult because it's also, um, all of that money is kind of in one pot, whether it's back rent, um, yes, moving assistance, yes, all of that. That's one big pot. And depending on what the demand is from the rental or that other part, it pulls from there, the same pot. Commissioners, hello. Hi. Um, I just was back there, thought I might uh, say that we do, now that the uh, subsidy funds are, are managed in-house, mm -hmm. um, I used to have a cell phone number for some other subsidies, but it's kind of um, gotten in, it's in-house through MOHCD uh, staff, so I'm able to go and, and ask. And anyways, uh, we now have a drop-down uh, where a pocket of funding is reserved for DTHP and COP. Um, but as Maria was stating, it's still, you know, uh, limited funds. So uh, we did use the funds to house some COP holders in a recent project, but it's, it's still very small and it's dwindling. But, I mean, that is just the universe of what the rental subsidies look like. Do we know what that actual um, amount is that's set aside right now? And um, Don't know. What is the, um, what we set aside versus what is the actual demand? I would have to find that out for you, Commissioner. I'm sorry, okay. I, don't, I don't have that information in front of me, but okay. I will definitely. Yeah, it'd be helpful to know like what is actually dedicated and to understand what has been the demand so that we can kind of figure out a way to make those two match up. Um, if any, none of my other commissioners have any other public comments, um, Madam Secretary, can you call the next item as this is a workshop? Next is agenda item number 5D, approving a budget for the period of July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024 and authorizing the transmittal of the budget and interim budget to the mayor's office and the board of supervisors discussion and action resolution number 11-2023 director Koslovsky. thank you madam secretary commissioners and members of the public um, this is the second in a series of meetings that the commission has held on the agency annual budget uh, the first one was a workshop held on april 4th uh, today is the action item to adopt the agency's annual budget 
Again, it's a budget of approximately 720 million, and we presented by Mina Yu, the finance and project uh, manager for the finance division. Mina. Thank you, Director. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Lullum, Commissioner Scott and Drew. Again, my name is Mina Yu, and I'm here to present the action item on our budget. So specifically, you'll be approving a budget for the period July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024, and authorizing the transmittal of the budget and interim budget to the Mayor's Office and the Board of Supervisors. This, again, is an overview of our budgeting process. Um, so we submitted our Recognized Obligation Payment Schedule, or our ROPS, to the Department of Finance in January. And our budget is based off of the ROPS. We presented our workshop on the 4th, and we received the Department of Finance's decision on the ROPS on April 14th. Um, their decision included a reclass of interest on the 98C and 98D bonds to reflect additional interest accrued per the most recent trustee statement. Um, additionally, there were some changes in the order of our bond issuances that we will be um, just cleaning up clerically with the Department of Finance, um, but there is no impact to the budget. And then with the action item before you today, upon your approval, we will submit the budget to the Mayor's Budget Office and then the Board of Supervisors. So at the workshop, we previewed that we were reviewing our property tax um, support for additional savings to comply with the mayor's budget directive. We had already implemented a 1.3 million decrease in property tax support in December 2022, and of the remaining 146.5 million in property tax support, the majority of these funds are committed to long-term obligations that we cannot reduce. <coughs> So there is a $6.1 million um, discretionary pocket of funds available, and we implemented the 5% reduction by increasing salary savings by holding a senior engineer position vacant for a savings of $0.3 million. Um, and I just want to clarify that increasing salary savings does not reduce the number of budgeted positions or delete any positions, but it just reduces the number of funded positions. So this slide shows a table representation of our property tax support. Um, as I mentioned, most of our costs are fixed, specifically 95.8%. Um, and actually, all of our costs are required or mandatory per our ROPS, but we have been looking for places to be helpful to the city. Um, so we have primarily discretion in our funding for our staffing costs. Um, things like the pass-through to the TJPA, the infrastructure reimbursements in the Hunters Point Shipyard Candlestick Point and our affordable housing project costs are all pledged to our project areas per contractual agreements. Um, so you have two tables on this slide. The table on top shows our property tax sources pulled from table one, one from the exhibit to the resolution. Um, and here we're showing a comparison to the from the workshop amount to the action amount. And the discretionary spending that we have um, that I mentioned is limited to our property tax other and our property tax HPS 2 CP. But of these amount um, in the second table, 10.8 million of these reflect mandatory costs for things like our retiree health and obligation, our affordable housing costs, and our infrastructure reimbursements in HPS 2 CP. 
Um, so the table below shows what the actual remaining discretionary funds are. At the workshop, we had $6.1 million available, but with a 5% reduction, we now have $5.8 million. Um, so this table shows the changes that we implemented from the to, workshop to our sources. Um, I understand the changes look minimal, but this is expected given the nature of our property tax support. This is only about 20% of our budget, and I as I mentioned, the majority of this is committed to our long-term obligations. Um, and then there were no other changes to our budget from the workshop. And then this table shows the impact on our uses um, and the changes from the workshop. And you can see the reduction only impacts our project management and operations. So after that reduction, this um, table shows the summary of our budget. The total budget is 717.4 million. The largest use remains Transbay, and then our debt service and non-project costs, and then our largest source is our prior period authority. And just in closing, some highlights of our budget. Um, again, our budget for 23-24 is 717.4 million. This is an increase of 0.1 million from the 22-23 budget. Our operating costs are $20 million, or 2.8% of the 23-24 total budget. Our staffing levels remain unchanged from the prior year. So we have 55 um, full-time equivalents, or FTEs. We have 36 positions that are filled. We have six that are um, held vacant for our salary savings, including that senior engineer position that I mentioned. We have three under active recruitment and 10 under future recruitment. And then our budget includes 116 new affordable housing loans, and our work plan includes an issuance of $129 million in a new money bond issuance to fund infrastructure and affordable housing projects. And that concludes our presentation. Happy to take any questions you might have. Madam Secretary, can you call for public comment, please? If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598-367-0207, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Then please press star 3 to place your name in the queue. If you're here joining us in person and if you would like to provide public comment you're welcome to come up to the podium at this time and for those of you joining us by phone if you'd like to provide public comment please press star three on your mobile phones madam chair it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item Seeing no members of the public having any public comment, I will close public comment and refer to my fellow commissioners for questions and comments. Commissioner Ludlow, would you like to start us off? Sure. Um, regarding uh, staffing levels, uh, I see there's a distinction between active recruitment and under recruitment. Uh, what does that mean? Um, sure. So active recruitment means that we've actually released the um, job description. We are interviewing some are close to being uh, pro provided uh, offers. 
And then under the ten under recruitment means that we have future plans in the upcoming um, year to fill those positions. Uh, and the six salary savings, uh, what what does that mean? Um, yes. Yeah, so typically we do. We have a total number of. Our 55 FTE is a total number of approved budgeted positions that we have, but over the years we do hold certain positions vacant for what we call like salary savings or attrition savings. And this is because um, it might not fit the work plan that we would need certain positions filled. So positions that we know that we do not need in the coming year, we will um, implement this thing called salary savings to hold those vacant. And so prior to the 5% reduction, we had five positions um, that we had already held vacant like throughout our ROFS process, process last fall, knowing that we wouldn't need certain positions. And then upon this like further review for the additional reduction, um, that's when we determined that we could also hold this um, senior engineer position vacant. Uh, so is that in it? So these vacant positions that we're not recruiting for, is that hypothetically like if... <clears throat> waiting for a project to advance, which would require staff or? Yeah, that does, that does largely impact um, the hiring plans. Okay. If I can add, Commissioner, um, I think generally speaking, especially since dissolution, um, obviously that's where we are, um, but more pronounced during uh, COVID, um, projects and the markets of development were a little uh, unpredictable. And so we have a, a fair number of vacancies that, you know, these, some of these subsections, if you will, don't really matter as much as to say these are vacant positions that as projects begin to ramp up or wind down, as we're supposed to do, um, those staff are transitioned to those projects. Most of, our, most of our work is in housing for the most part. And so those would be primarily hires in the housing division assigned potentially to project areas. As you, everyone knows, the project area of Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick Point are uh, severely delayed. Um, but these are, these are positions that would have otherwise been working on that project. Um, we have a couple of, we have a bond issuance that is being undertaken now that might necess necessitate some more staff. If replacement housing is approved, uh, those are major bond issuances um, that would take place in 2024. Um, our first project, excuse me, our first bond issuance would fund about 800 units of housing, probably in 2025. So we're looking ahead in the next fis subsequent fiscal years. So we're not putting it in for this fiscal year, but we're seeing in the next two to three fiscal years some 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 hiring. Thank you. Commissioner Scott. No questions, uh, just the comment of thank you, Nina, for uh, your report. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Drew. Thank you. Um, so I think it's important for us as commissioners to just understand and have transparency and accountability as it comes to budgets. One thing that I would really like to see next year uh, during the budgeting process is an understanding of where OCII spent our funds throughout the year. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand uh, this year there's not sufficient time to pull that information together, uh, but I think as you're asking us to say, is this an appropriate budget for the upcoming year, it will be really helpful to understand uh, where we spent our money uh, to date. So more uh, timely submissions or uh, reporting of budget to actuals uh, moving forward would be really appreciated. 
Um, I'm also going to admit I don't have a great idea uh, from this budget uh, what OCII's plan for the year is in terms of staffing. So I understand there's, a, a, there's obviously the ROPS, then there's the budget, then there's this funded versus unfunded. Uh, how do we have transparency in terms of what OCII is actually planning to spend and execute against, and how do we hold ourselves accountable to what we've said we will fund and, and not fund? Sure, I think those are great points, and we definitely um, have heard the budget to actual comment. Um, I think part of the challenge is that our, we can certainly provide that like today regarding the, um, the operational part of our budget, but because our, the rest of our budget is sort of like long-term capital plans, the way we track it is more kind of over multiple years. So we have more like five-year trackers versus like an annual tracker. So that's part of the challenge in like, you know, ex extracting out just the specific year because it doesn't fully tell the story and it's not particularly how we're sort of like set up currently to report it that way. But I think that um, our, our goal is to be able to provide that in the future. Um, and then just regarding the salary savings, I think, um, I think you're right, it's, it's a little bit of a more like opaque concept, but um, part of how we're held accountable is that we do have to incorporate the salary savings in the budget that we submit to the mayor. And so um, all the funding for these six positions are netted out of our operating budget. Um, it's kind of a line item like submission to the budget, but it's, it's definitely not something that we have currently in this presentation, but we can certainly provide that moving forward. Um, yeah, I think that would be really helpful, and especially mm -hmm. to the extent that something the agency is putting forward will be presented to the mayor or to the board of supervisors. I think it's really important for us to see and understand uh, what is going to be presented uh, to, those, to those bodies. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and then I just wanted to um, just mention that because we had received your email and we were thinking about it, you know, this is the table in the appendix does show our full roster of positions and then we have notes showing, you know, what's what's an active position or what, what has a body sitting in that position currently and then what are held for salary savings and then what um, is under active recruitment and what is under future recruitment. So it's all here. It's may not be like the most um, digestible format, but we wanted to pre present something to share this. And then I think moving forward, um, we want to work on like how to provide a little bit more transparency and provide that in greater detail. Great, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, seeing if my other commissioners have any fellow com um, additional comments before I comment. I would second uh, Commissioner Drew's comment. Uh, I'm used to private sector budgets which show what you spent and what you budgeted. Uh, so I really don't know what to make of a $300,000 reduction in a $720 million budget. But if you showed me what you actually spent over the last year, then I would have some context. If I might, commissioners, um, this is great feedback. Um, and what we want to do for next year, we'll probably have some pilot meetings with commissioners to uh, sort of preview or pilot different uh, ways to, to show the information, is to do a project by project breakdown of you know, looking at the scale of things. If you have a five year or seven year affordable housing project, it's kind of looking at it from a capital 
budget planning approach, not from an operational approach. We have some operational aspects to our budget. So show you that stuff in an operational time frame and then show you over a capital period time frame, uh, mostly affordable housing and some of our park projects. For example, our Trans Bay Block 3 project has been in design for I think two years now and there was a community planning process that preceded it. Part of that funding is going into this year's budget along with a bond issuance and that project will be complete in about two years. So we can show you that whole life cycle of a project, showing you the money that was spent um, and put it in context with the amount that you're authorizing for this fiscal year. We weren't able to do that for this particular um, process, but your feedback is warranted and we want to uh, provide that, that level of detail to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and wanted to thank you, Mina, for your presentation today and the comments from um, Executive Director Koslovsky. Um, just wanted to also say that um, <clears throat> I know in the past we had um, one Nadia was our AD, sometimes she shared also um, and expressed how um, our current annual budget also matches up with our ROPS budget as well. And that might provide you with a little bit more of the other commissioners of a little bit more detail that you're looking for um, or being able to see the line items. Um, and um, I understand why you guys presented it this way in terms of being an annual budget because we are in a different <laughs> time frame right now, um, but would like to see more detail later as well. So just wanted to thank the staff for this and um, opening up to my commissioners to see if we have a motion on this um, approval of the 2023-2024 budget. Madam Chair. I move that we approve of a budget for the period of July 1, 2023 through June 30, 2024 and authorize the transmittal of the budget and interim budget to the Mayor's Office and Board of Supervisors, resolution number 11, 2023. I would second that motion. Madam Secretary, can you call roll? Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5D when I call your name. Commissioner Drew. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam. Aye. Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes. The motion passes. Can you call the next item, please? Next is agenda item number 5E, approving a budget and levy of special taxes for July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024 for community facility districts administered by the successor agency to the redevelopment agency of the city and county of San Francisco. Discussion and action, resolution number 12-2023. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, commissioners, members of the public, this is uh, once again an annual budget approval. This was the second of a series of workshops that we held with the commission, the first is on April 4th, to talk about community facilities districts budgets, which are um, geographic areas within our project areas and some in our former project areas that remain uh, authorized under the State Melarus Act, which um, provide for a special tax to tax the property owners in an area to build infrastructure, uh, primarily streets and utilities, as well as parks, and also to provide for maintenance money on an ongoing basis, which is primarily what this is, uh, maintenance money to maintain the parks that were built. Uh, the infrastructure that gets built, streets and utilities, gets built and transferred over to the city in a typical uh, redevelopment uh, way. 
And this will be presented by Mina Yu once again. Mina. Thank you, Director. Good afternoon again, Commissioners. Um, this is the action item on the CFD budget. Uh, specifically, you'll be approving a budget and levy of special taxes for July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024 for community facility, facility districts administered by the successor agency to the redevelopment agency of the city and county of San Francisco. Um, so this table is the exact same table that we presented at the workshop. There have been no changes. Um, this shows a summary of our CFDs by expenditure, expenditure types. Um, the total is $44.9 million with an estimate $20 million funded by special, the special tax levy. And this levy is finalized in August, and so the resolution includes a provision that allow, allows us to capture all special taxes generated at that time. Um, we also have $6.7 million from fund balance um, to fund capital improvements and develop, developer infrastructure reimbursements for CFDs 1, 5, and 7. And then we have $18.1 million that reflects uh, the bond balances in CFD 6 in case a refunding opportunity for the bond arises. Um, so this table is just showing the budget by the specific CFDs. Um, the largest use is the potential debt refunding, followed by the debt service on the bonds in CFD 6 and 7, and then our infrastructure reimbursements. Um, and that really concludes the presentation, so happy to take any questions. Thank you for your presentation, Mina. Madam Secretary, can you call for public comment, please? At this time, if there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on item 5E, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598-367-0207, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again, then enter star 3 to be placed in the queue. If you're already here in person and would like to provide public comment, you are welcome to come up to the podium. If you have joined us by phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star three on your mobile devices. And Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public waiting, uh, excuse me, uh, requesting to comment on this item. Seeing no more further comments, public comments on this item, I'll close public comments and turn to my fellow commissioners, Commissioner Drew. Uh, thank you. I think uh, maybe one uh, quick question on these. Uh, we discussed uh, last meeting uh, the use of these funds uh, directly by Rec Park. Uh, have we defined the level of service uh, that Rec Park will be providing to these parks, and is that how the budget was arrived at? Um, our project manager, Mark Slutskin, can better address that question. Great. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Ludlam, Chair, Commissioners. Good to see you, Commissioner <laughs> Drew. Um, we're currently in the middle of hopefully finalizing the memorandum of agreement with Rec Park and the, uh, the Port uh, for the work in the upcoming fiscal years. And within that, there is a scope of services uh, that matches the scope of services that is currently being done by the private uh, management company. Okay, thank you for that. And that will come to the, the MOA will come to the commission? Or? Yes, yeah. okay. it will definitely, hopefully the 18th of May, but might be the 6th of June. Great, thank you. I can tell Commissioner Drew that the local community has been very vocal with Rag and Park 
at several CAC meetings, uh, and I think they are heard loud and clear. Commissioner Scott? No comment. I did have one quick um, small question. Um, being that it's going to be transferred over to um, Park and Rec as well as to the port, I'm just wondering if the MOU has anything in it with respect to um, kind of adhering to some of the same kind of programs that we um, facilitate here at OCII in terms of like subcontracting out to small businesses, et cetera, et cetera, for any services. Um, so it's going to be two-step process. There's going to be an MOA to so that the, on July one they can take over management because that's when the current management project ends, and then there's going to be another MOA or MOU which is going to large define actually how the process goes going forward once the lease termination because we're also going to be terminating the lease. Um, Right now, I think it's that their policies will be following the city, but they won't be doing much contracting because they're going to be self-performing all of the work. City. So we're not looking to, you know, the landscaping is going to be done by city employees and maintenance by city employees. So they're not um, doing like we do, where we, we source this out to third parties. If I could add, commissioners, um, so the most, as Mark is saying, most of the work will be self-performed, as we talk about in the construction world, but Rec Park will be doing this work mostly themselves. To the extent that any subcontracting goes on, they'd be using the city's program, which is the local business enterprise program. Um, as most of the cases, whenever folks are, whenever we contract with city departments. Yeah, I think the, the port will probably be doing security, will be outsourced, but everything else is planned to be done in-house. Thank you. Thank you. If there's no other fellow um, additional comments from fellow commissioners, um, I'd like to open it up for commissioner to make a motion. One last question. Could you just run through what areas each number CFD are? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So CFD one is for the South Beach Rincon Point. Um, CFDs. Mina, Sorry. do we have the map handy? We do have the map, um, but it's the final. You can do the overhead if you don't have a slide. There it is. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to need your help, Mark, on which one yours are. I think CFD 6, 5, and 6. Yeah. 5 and 6. Uh, yeah, 4, 5, and 6 are Mission Bay. Okay, thank you. And then 7, 8, and 9 are, seven, eight, and nine are in the Hunters Point Shipyard Candlestick Point project area. Can you repeat 7, 8, and 9 are where? Hunters Point uh, Shipyard Candlestick Point. Commissioner, your, your question was primarily around geography? Yeah, I just... Okay. ...to identify the columns. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I would move to approve this budget. I second that motion. 
Madam Secretary, can you please call um, the vote? Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5E when I call your name. Commissioner Drew. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Ludlum. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes. Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item? The motion carries. Next is agenda item number 5F, amending resolution number 34-2022 to revise the comparable city classification for the unrepresented position of executive assistant to the executive director. Discussion and action resolution number 13-2023. Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary, commissioners, members of the public. This is an item to update our salary resolution uh, chart, which is primarily an instrument that we use to set the salary standards for all the agency employees. And so uh, Ms. Monica Steen, the, eight, the Human Resources and Administrative Manager, will present this item. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice Chair Ledlam, Commissioner Scott and Drew. Thank you for your time today. I'm here to present an amendment to amend the tie for the executive assistant to executive director, or as we'll do in this presentation, executive assistant. So for a bit of background, historically, the unrepresented positions of commission secretary and an executive assistant have had the same city benchmark. As background, all of our positions have a city of San Francisco benchmark tie. So historically, the positions have had a, um, the same tie. Back in September of 22, the commission approved a new city tie for the commission secretary to job code 0922, manager one. The tie was changed, the commission secretary tie was changed at that time as the previous tie, 1548, was no longer active. We then, uh, the Human Resources Division, includes myself and April Ward, reviewed the city tie and we changed it to 0922, which is commensurate with the port, Port of San Francisco, and the PUC Commission Secretary compensation. So as we began to evaluate um, the changing of the executive assistant tie, we, uh, we were looking at the needs of the agency around the records department when we returned back in 2022, and we've had an abundance of historical records. We were looking at how we can accommodate um, and increase our capacity in the records department. Um, so to accommodate the needs of the OCII, uh, if approved, the executive assistant will have new and additional duties that would include records, uh, records department monitorization, project coordination, and staff supervision. For example, of a project of monitorization, we have a huge amount of microfish data um, that is a dying technology. So one of our projects would be to uh, modernize and digitize uh, our microfish, which would also help with our uh, public records request as well. So the executive assistant would be project leading that effort. So the human resources then undertook a review of the executive assistant position for eternal parity, additional job duties and functions to determine the new benchmark of job code 09 to two, manager one. 
So we seek your approval to adopt, uh, to amend the resolution to update the tie for the executive assistant to 0922. That is the substance of my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you for your presentation. Madam Secretary, could you please call for public comment? Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598-367-0207, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Press star, then three to be placed in the queue. If you've joined us in person and would like to provide public comment, you're welcome to come up to the podium at this time. And for any members who have joined us by phone, please press star three on your mobile devices if you'd like to provide public comment. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Seeing no public comments, um, I would like to close public comments and move it over to my fellow commissioners for any questions and comments. Um, I will start with Commissioner Scott. Well, thank you for your report and uh, no questions. I just think it's uh, a better thing that needs to happen uh, to keep us moving forward. And with the excellent services they're giving, I think it's just a good move and well-deserved. Mm -hmm. uh, we're giving someone a promotion and a raise. What is the raise that we're approving? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I'm sorry, I did not have the salary chart um, in front of me. I can get you that directly. I would probably say you're looking at probably uh, an estimated annual raise of about twenty thousand. But I can circle back and give give the co commission the hard number. That's all right. We'll assume that's the right ballpark. Commissioner Drew. Uh, thank you. Uh, just to confirm, uh, the 0922 is also the uh, job code of similar positions for the, I believe it's the port uh, and the PUC? Yes, correct. Okay. That is the, that is the tie that those, those commission secretaries have. Great. Thank you. And my comment is just um, saying thank you, Monica, for doing this work. I think it's very important for us to... Um, make sure that our staff is paying comparable to other departments. I mean, we have had excellent staff here, and if we want to keep them and not see them leaving, um, more of this, you know, I'd like to see more of this happen as much as possible, being able to recognize our staff and not just meetings like this where we tell them that they, we do great work and that they're helping to move our projects forward, but we also compensate them for all of their hard work and being kind of OCII, being one of those really smaller departments <laughs> that does a lot of this work, I'm happy to also see that we're also adding additional, you know, specific workload things that will help make things better for everyone, especially when it comes to record keeping in the microfiche, which has come up over and over <laughs> every year in our um, kind of annual meetings when we're talking about budget issues, projects, and even, you know, questions that the public has that just becomes cumbersome for our staff to really respond in a timely fashion. So, you know, I really um, support this and would like to open it up to any of my fellow commissioners who would like to um, make a motion. 
I'll uh, make a motion to approve. I second that motion. Madam Secretary, can you call for the vote? Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5F when I call your name. Commissioner Drew? Aye. Commissioner Scott? Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam? Aye. And Chair Brackett? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes. The motion carries. Madam Secretary, can you call the next item, please? M Madam but Chair, Madam Chair, if I may, uh, I believe Ms. Steen has, um, there was an exhibit attached to the package, and I believe the Monica has just the salary. Do you oh, have okay. it there or no? This is what the new salary would be. Okay. Um, so it's going, so for the maximum step five salary, mm -hmm. it would go to five five thousand nine hundred ninety nine at step five, biweekly. Biweekly. So I know that's a little out of out of uh, order. So I just wanted to put that out there for the record, at least. Thank you, Ms. Dean. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Can you call the next item, please? The next order of business is item six, public comment on non-agenda non items. Madam Chair. Or I can open up. Could you please call for public comment? At this time, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on non-agenda items, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2598, Three six seven zero two zero seven, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call, then press star three to submit your request to speak. If you are already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you would like to provide public comment. And we'll begin by inviting anybody here in person who would like to provide their comment to come up to the podium at this time. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Hearing no further requests from public, um, we will close public comment. And could you please call the next order of business? Next order of business is item seven, report of the chair. Madam Chair? I have nothing to report at this time. Um, could you please call the next item? The next order of business is item eight, report of the executive director, Director Koslovsky. Thank you, Madam Secretary, uh, members of the commission, members of the public. Uh, just a few items to update uh, the commission on. The first one was referenced in our housing report. Um, it's the legislation of replacement housing at the state. Um, as you recall, we've been working with Senator Weiner to get um, introduction of replacement housing program, which is a program to replace the 14,000 units that were demolished during the urban renewal days. We have about 1,500 units left that was ceased in 2012 uh, at dissolution. Um, Senator Weiner did introduce legislation in February of this year. We had a hearing on March 29th at a committee, the Governance and Finance Committee in the the motion passed for, for replacement housing uh, seven to zero. So there was a pretty strong showing at the initial committee hearing. The next committee hearing is May 2nd. It happens to be the day of a commission meeting. Um, so uh, Mr. Morales will staff the meeting, but I'll attend in Sacramento the housing committee meeting, which is chaired by Senator Weiner. So we imagine that there will be a lot of good conversation, positive conversation on this item. Um, if it's approved there, it would then go on if Senator Weiner and the rest of the committee, excuse me, the Senate, um, would like to take it up at the floor. And in the first week, that would be likely in the first week of May, and then potentially hearings at the assembly in June. 
Um, so we'll keep you apprised on how that proceeds, uh, but we're cautiously optimistic about it and um, continuing to brief senators to answer their questions and um, if they have any recommendations for amendment. I also wanted to update you on something that I had mentioned in a previous director's report, which is the Fillmore Heritage Center disposition. Um, you recall in 2015, the long range property management plan, which was required by dissolution, we, are to we were just to dispose of all assets, physical assets, uh, like real estate, um, that we didn't have an enforceable obligation for in the Fillmore Heritage Center, which housed the former Yoshi's space, a garage, and 1300 uh, uh, Fillmore restaurant. The garage is going to the city and that's already underway and that's for a government purpose. But the former Yoshi space and the 1300 um, restaurant space was gonna be used for future development or an economic opportunity, excuse me, economic development opportunity. Um, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, we saw the housing side of MOHCD. The community development side of MOHCD is doing a request for proposals, which was issued on February 28th of this year. Uh, proposals are due for that um, solicitation on, I think it's April 24th, so it's around the corner. So if anyone is listening and they're interested in operating that space and doing something in the community, um, April 24th is the due date for that RFP. And I just wanted to talk briefly about some of the objectives of the RFP. Um, it's to be a catalyst for the revitalization of Fillmore and the commercial corridor and creation of employment opportunities for the community. These were the, the objectives I'm gonna speak about were objectives that were promoted by the community through listening sessions by the mayor's office. Uh, they wanted it to complement the corridor's mix of uses and help activate the corridor and provide community benefits including but not limited to small business partnerships, affordable housing, excuse me, affordable community activation opportunities, job creation and minority and women owned enterprise opportunities and very importantly to demonstrate the capacity to financially um, activate the site, be financially viable and have a sustainable commercial operation there. Uh, so again, um, April 24th RFP is due. The parcels that, that I described themselves are gonna be transferring during the solicitation process. So we imagine at the end of this quarter and through uh, quarter three of this year, the parcels will transfer. This is a Board of Supervisors property acceptance process um, that our uh, legal team is working on with the city's Department of Real Estate. So I just wanted to update you on that. Um, Commissioner Drew referenced the Reparations Task Force, which myself and some of my colleagues attended a couple of different meetings. Um, I reported on April 4th that myself, Rich Hillis, who's the head of the Planning Department, Eric Shaw, who's the head of the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, as well as Shereen McSpadden, who's the Executive Director of the Department of Housing and Homeless Supportive, Homelessness and Supportive Housing. We both appear, we, all of us appeared at the Reparations Committee on April 10th. I also, separate from them, had um, appeared at the Reparations Policy Subcommittee, which is charged with making legislative recommendations um, to the board in their final report. Um, they, they've made some, some information requests, both directly through the committee and also some of the individuals separately, um, thus the need for the preceding item, item to make sure our records are accessible to the public. Um, and they've asked for a couple of different things which we are gonna provide to them, which include a list of all of our current and active uh, and sunsetting, to use their language, um, development and disposition agreements, land dis disposition agreements, and owner participation agreements since 1972. 
So that's one of their massive information requests, which we are preparing for them. Um, then they also want a list of all uh, redevelopment properties uh, that were sold in harmony, this is their language, with the state mandate of long-range property management plan. So it's basically looking at the long-range property management plan from 2015 and just tracking where we are in that process. And so we're going to be providing them a nice updated list with an updated schedule of where those things are. Um, so their process, uh, the Reparations Committee is gathering information to make recommendations to address the past injustices of harms to the African-American community in San Francisco. That's their charge. And their work is continuing. They're continuing hearings. They have subcommittee hearings that are meeting, making recommendations on specific aspects of their work. Um, and they're going to be working on those uh, uh, policy recommendations until June. And they're going to be making a final set of recommendations to the Board of Supervisors uh, at that point. It'll be closer to that point that we, um, with my colleagues that I had mentioned e uh, earlier, will be tracking it and finalizing those recommendations, not we finalizing those recommendations, but monitoring them finalizing those recommendations, and then seeing what, where things land and then deciding on what to do at that point. Um, during my testimony um, at the committee meetings, I did um, address that really it's, it's difficult for us to expand anything in our certificate of preference program as it relates to expansion of a, anything beyond just a preference, which is what the current policy states, especially if it uh, relates to financial assistance of any kind, whether it's rental or housing down payment. Um, and so I, I mentioned that to, to the committee, but they took that under advisement. And so that was part of my testimony, in addition to committing to getting back to them about um, our uh, minority hiring program, both for local hiring, but also for contracting. They had, they had questions about the location of some of the businesses. Were they San Francisco-based, for example? Um, so I'll be providing them our SBE report, which tracks ethnicity of both hires and also uh, contractors, um, in, in addition to the other information requests that uh, they requested. Um, so we'll keep the commission apprised uh, of that and how that goes. And that, that concludes my report for tonight, today, this afternoon. Thank you. Commissioners, do you have any questions for Executive Director Koslowski on his report? No question, just to say I'm excited and glad to hear that there's something clear that we can say that is happening for the Heritage Center. And I thank you for that report. M Madam Chair, I did neglect one thing that I wanted to uh, provide the Commission with. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, the head of the policy committee, Daniel, Mr. Daniel Landry. Uh, he, when he and I met, he provided me with a book um, called Gentrification and Hope Six and the End of Public Housing Communities in, in San Francisco, 1970-2003, uh, written by Lorenzo Gomez. And the name of the book is called Full City. Um, and I was looking through the book and it has some very good information about the history, especially in Western Edition, but it provides some great photo documentation here of a marching band in 1972, you know, just showing how people lived um, in 1972 and how people enjoyed their community. Some shots of Geneva Towers, uh, which has been since been demolished. And then notably, a, a former picture of Plaza East, where I understand uh, Mayor London Breed was raised when it was a high rise and what it looks like today. Um, so. If anyone wants to look at that, uh, I'll have a copy of this at my office. I think it's outstanding documentation of, you know, some of the history. Again, uplifting the history to have lessons learned for the future. So, thank you. Mm. 
Never let an opportunity to ask a question go by. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Director Kozlowski, uh, I think it'd be really helpful. The, obviously, the work of the Reparations Committee, I think, directly impacts um, our agency, and I think it recognizes the uh, detrimental impact of prior actions by our agency. Um, really looking to that work to help inform uh, policy decisions uh, that this uh, commission should make uh, moving forward. I think it'd be really helpful to hear uh, your perspective maybe in an informational memorandum or at a, at a subsequent meeting, just on uh, the, recommend, the draft recommendations uh, that the committee has made, uh, which ones do fall within uh, OCII's purview, uh, and uh, how we could uh, implement uh, those moving forward. Um, just to get an understanding of, you know, how we're, uh, of the policy recommendations that are coming out of it, and as well as the expectations that's creating uh, in regards to our uh, Commission and, and the agency in terms of implementing them uh, once the recommendations are finalized. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I have two comments. Um, my first comment is regarding the Heritage Center property. Um, I was very aware of all of the changes that have happened between the Heritage Center since prior to it being rebuilt and that also being a historical landmark of the Black Panther Party actual newspaper location. And so there was a lot of back and forth on what would happen to that property, and there were also subsequent RFPs that asked for whoever would um, occupy the property to make sure that they preserved the heritage or the African-American heritage of that building. And I know that there has been a lot of stress um, related to um, the transference of the property or the sale of the property to ensure that that is actually happens. And so I'm a bit concerned because as we are talking about transferring um, the property, um, that has also come up along with the reparations task force that we do not transfer it over to the city yet, but that it be given to the black community. So just wanted to hear from you um, how you felt about that and where our position lies as an agency in terms of what has not happened, some of the, um, I guess, past actions that we've taken to try and make that happen, and then how, and that have not worked, that kind of have failed, and what do we, what are we committing to do to ensure that that actually happens? Um, thank you, Chair Brackett. I think um, what probably is ideal is to, to potentially agendize an item uh, for that so we can have more discussion about it. I'd also like to have, um, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, our partners who are managing the solicitation, um, perhaps some, some of the folks from the Human Rights Commission who are involved as well. Um, let me at least consult with them to see what a good uh, briefing would be. Um, this wasn't really agendized. I, I wanted to tell you what the status was, but um, I want to make sure to be able to get into as much engagement as the Commission would like, um, that I have more information to provide to you, but also agendize it properly, if that's okay. Yes, that would be very helpful, especially considering that's such a large space with different breakouts. And um, my biggest concern is that another RFP going out to activate such a large space without as much resources that are needed to really make it a successful long-term project may just harm the community that much more. So I just want to make sure that when we're um, offering things to the community, we're being intentional about making sure that they're properly resourced and that they, we can meet our objectives. <coughs> Thank you. you. Okay. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item? 
The next order of business is item nine, commissioners questions and matters, Madam Chair. Commissioners, do you have any other questions or matters that you'd like to um, bring forth at this time? Yes, Madam uh, Chair. I uh, shared last meeting about the coup, Community of Opportunity, and um, the covenant with the African American nation. And I'd like to just quickly just kind of repeat that again, and much of what we've heard is addressing this, and then there are things that have not been uh, targeted. And uh, Oscar James, who is with us today, uh, named a strong one that I stand so strongly with him on. And it's um, something Henry Ford said, and one applies to the uh, promotion that's been given for Jamie and Lucinda, and it's, there's one rule for the industrial, and that is make the best quality goods possible at the lowest rate possible, paying the highest wages possible for the best of services and outcome. The coup was operating together with pastors. They could not get any more than three to five pastors to come together to help strengthen and build and sustain communities that were deteriorating. Turf wars and many other things were going on that was literally damaging lives, destroying lives. But um, in coming together with uh, the redevelopment agency, they came up with this covenant. And it said that to help the people, securing the right to health care and well-being, establishing a system of public education in which all children achieve at high levels and reach their full potential, correcting the system of unequal justice, number four, fostering accountable community-centered policing, number five, ensuring broad access to affordable neighborhoods that connect to opportunity, claiming our democracy, strengthening our rural roots, assessing good jobs, wealth, and economic prosperity, assuring environmental justice for all, and closing the racial digital divide. And our Madam Chair brought that up where we need to make sure our communities have access to technical uh, equipment. The work that was done by bringing the pastors together, and it was given to me as a charge to bring them together, I can say we achieved much. We gave out turkeys during the holiday season. We had a van service for appointments, jobs, interviews, shopping, and um, we served together bringing out our congregations with Operation Homeless Connect, uh, with prayer tents, foot washing, and all types of medical services. We went into communities with our congregations going door to door, praying with residents and finding out what their needs were. Every fifth Sunday, we had a theme and a text, and all of the churches shared that same theme 
with their congregants. We were able to bring out thousands to the parks to serve the communities in District 10. After service, we would circle around our churches, the four square block, praying together for that community. The churches began to fill up parks and their sanctuaries. I assisted pastors in how to deal with unchurched members and dealing with their families and working together with our outreach. Pastors opened their church doors to family gatherings for the sad thing, so many turf wars and lives lost. But this again brought the community together. And this lasted for five years. The community for uh, uh, five years or more came back to being a sense of community in this city, a source of support for one another, and uh, growth and development was happening. The Redevelopment Agency began a great service through the faith community, and it would be great to see something like that rise again with the services, our community benefits, and the opportunities we offer. And I'm just thankful that the redevelopment um, agency brought this forth and gave the opportunity to help raise up this city. And we still have that same opportunity, and I look forward to working with you all to make it happen again. And it more than likely will be in a different way, but I believe it can happen. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Scott. Um, Commissioner Ludlam, Drew, do you have any additional? Seeing no other fellow um, comments from my fellow commissioners, uh, Madam Secretary, can you call the next item? The next order of business is item 10, closed session. There are no closed session items. The next order of business is item 11, adjournment, Madam Chair. Fellow commissioners, um, I need a motion to adjourn our meeting. Push from the wrong buttons. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll make a motion. I second that motion. Um, this meeting is being adjourned at 3.30.